Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Nick O'Brien, Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for Fresno State University, hosted by Matt Tometz. All right. Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective presented by Samson Equipment. I'm your host, Matt Thomas. I'm joined today by Nick O'Brien, Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for Fresno State. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, man? It's good, yeah, uh, good. Always good, good to be on the show. I can record a podcast, talk some shop, and just people that, that love iron and everything about it. So for those who are not familiar with your background, could you please share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up military brat, so originally from California where I am now, but moved around all my life and coaching kind of took that same seat. Um, played a bunch of sports. I think every time we moved, I ended up picking up a different sport just based off the, the location. So uh, I think I played almost eight sports growing up just at different times, never for a long time. So never really got good at one thing. Um, and actually tried to pick up a new sport by the time I, like my freshman year of college, which did not go well, um, ended up getting injured and originally was going to be like shadowing to be an athletic trainer. And that's why originally I went to Salisbury for, um, and then I found in the first day that I really did not like it. It was not for me. I wanted to be involved in athletics and I felt like I kind of got gypped that I wanted to compete at a high level, just didn't have the talent for anything. And honestly, I was like a Swiss army knife. I couldn't pick one sport to just do. And in college, most people have to be good at one sport and that's what it is. And um, that's when I started interning at Salisbury from there. Um, I did a few other internships at Georgetown, American, San Diego State, and uh, Loyola. And from that point, I got promoted to graduate assistant at Salisbury. Um, I got my own teams for the first time, which was awesome. Um, The internships were scattered all across the place. It just makes everything more confusing. But um, moved home after a grad assistant because did not get a job like some coaches end up getting. So it went from... uh, 3,000 miles on the East Coast away to the West Coast for two months and then got a job back at Loyola again and moved back 3,000 miles again in less than two months, which was an awesome transition. Um, Three years there working as an assistant. And then in 2016, I took this position back in California, a little bit more upstate than where I'm originally from in the Central Valley. But... Um, I've been here four years working with uh, baseball, volleyball, wrestling, and women's across now, and it's it's been awesome. Awesome, and and one question before we get into the main ones: looking back, having bounced around to all those locations, all those sports, kind of just experimenting with all of that, do you wish that, or not wish or regret, but just hindsight's always twenty twenty, that you had stuck with one sport so you could really just go all in and get really good at that? Or do you think having experienced all of those different things, it's, it's helped you with a little bit better understanding for just the variety of sports and things like that? Uh, I would love to have played a one sport and actually been good at it. I mean, I think I always wanted to go to the NHL and I was terrible at skating. I still am, but 
I probably said the same thing about, oh, I want to be a professional lacrosse player. I want to be a professional baseball player, basketball player. Um, it kind of just was at the time period. I think it's all helped, though, because now I can kind of relate to all my athletes. I have I don't just have one or two sports. And even since I've been here, I've been changed around different sports. I've worked with different ones. Um, I oversee some of the interns that work with different sports, too. So it kind of gives me an in with all of them. Um, I think later in my like post-college career, when I started competing in other other sports, it gave me a better perspective of how to train for it. And I wouldn't change it for what it is because I would have never got to experience all those ones. But I also now will never experience what it's like to be really good at one of them. I guess I could try to push for what I'm doing now, but I don't know if I have the time for that or the skill. And being able to to speak that language or the athletes understanding that you have been there, done that in at least a little capacity and that you can say the lingo and the terminology and it's just not being a complete outsider goes a super long way. And of course, hindsight's always 2020, you know, there's regrets and I wish XYZ is a waste of everyone's time, but it's interesting, like not having, well, you, you did play college lacrosse, correct? Well, I got hurt my freshman year oh. and then, um, that was the sport I picked up in college right away. I was like, ah, oh, I can, you mean I can hit people and put a stick in my hand? I was like, this is awesome. And I don't have to skate. Like, I wish I would have known about this a lot earlier. I knew about it because I'd lived in probably the hotbed of lacrosse, which arguably is Maryland. And um, I just never got a chance to play it. I was playing other sports in high school at that point. So I was like, I'll do it in college, whatever. Um, and then end up tearing my glute and could not do anything after that. And that really got me interested in like the rehab side and actually training, which is why I wanted to be originally an athletic trainer. And it just, it didn't serve my personality at all. And I didn't like being on the, on the side of, all right, well now they're broken. So fix them. It's like, I want to be on the side where we're, they're competitive. They're, they're working for something. We're making progress. We're, we're training. That, that's what I really liked about it. Um, I ended up playing club there, which is still a successful team because, I mean, Salisbury lacrosse is a powerhouse. The men have won 12 national championships. The women have won three. And anybody that doesn't make those teams plays on the club team. So we were still playing at a really high level, but it made it a little bit easier for me because I could transition into what I wanted to do now, which was coaching. So if I didn't have to go to practice that day because I had a team it was fine I could go to it but then all right now I can go to all of my games which is really what I wanted to do anyway so it worked out well I just played club the whole time I was there it always does work out whether it's how we want it to in the moment or not it always does so and it's interesting how everyone kind of gets into the field of strength and conditioning for myself in high school uh, I strained my UCL. I was a pitcher. And then I was fortunate enough, I walked on and played D2. But so when I hurt, when I got hurt, I want to be a physical therapist. I was like, ooh, sports. And then it was uh, too much gen pop. And then it was athletic training. And then it was like still kind of rehabby. And I, st I can't remember the moment where like strength and conditioning and performance, I stumbled upon it on like social media or just whatever. It was like my sophomore year of college. But it's just interesting how like some people, it's like that right away because they had that one coach that inspired them. Some people, it's they had that 
very bad coach that inspired them to want to like right their wrongs. And then some people that come in the, the rehab route. So interesting kind of hearing your story and how the variety of experiences, your own athletic background has all contributed to, to what you're doing now. So that'll lead us into our first big question. What is the coolest story you have thus far in your career? Yeah, I thought about this one for a while and moving around a lot too and being at so many different schools I've and so many different sports, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one. Um, luckily, I'm getting a little bit older now and I've been in the profession a little bit longer that it's kind of cool to see some of the kids graduate and see the alumni come back for games or just, just travel back and kind of say what's up. Um, actually, the other day, uh, one of my baseball players let me know that he just got engaged to one of my former lacrosse players which is cool so to see all that stuff is awesome and and just kind of like the victories that we get in the weight room all the time and just sharing those moments is cool but when I think about like sports ones a lot of the ones I had were like at my alma mater um when I worked with men's and women's lacrosse when I was at Salisbury and um they're a very highly successful program and the caveat, the caveat is they were great before me. They were really good when I was there too, and they're still really good. So I'm not going to take any away from anything that they did because I was just lucky to be along for the ride. But I think one of the coolest things was um, in 2012, the men's team, uh, we won the championship and went 23-0, and so undefeated season. And then the next season, the women went to the championship, won, and went 23-0. and So back-to-back. And then both of those, the men were already back-to-back. So 2011, 2012, back-to-back championships. And then the women, my final two years of grad school, were 2013-2014 champions. So really cool to be a part of those programs and see what it was. Um, it's an eye opener though, after that, when you move on to a different program and realize that not everybody can go undefeated and not many people ever do go undefeated. So I'll cherish those moments and, uh, and working with those teams. Cause it was an awesome experience. Correlation isn't causation, but you were there for both of those. And, and I bet you have some pretty cool hardware to show, show for it. And although uh, I like how you said they were good before, during, and after, you know, and, and understanding that the strength coach might not have as big an impact as, as we all think. And we all love strength and conditioning. And like, we think that we're super important, but you know, they're like, not as still important, but not as big as, as people might think not to discredit S and C, but you know what I'm saying, but having those experiences of like, you've, you've coached athletes through that whole playoff run. You've experienced those jitters the night before, traveling, kind of all that stuff. So how does those experiences of like those big time sporting events, tournaments, games, are you able to kind of draw on those when uh, chatting with your athletes now? Yeah, I think it's important too, because especially like with the freshmen, I think all the older, the upperclassmen will kind of relate to them. Hey, this is what it's all about. This is the experience when they get to it. Um, especially at Salisbury where, you know, Hey, we, we make the tournament every year. The goal is to win our conference too and be undefeated going into the tournament. And then that's when the work really starts. So, but being able to talk to those players and kind of let them know what the experience is like and the different kind of pressures, it's not, it's no different than just playing a game. 
Like the venue might change, the there might be more cameras, there might be more stigma involved in it, but you're still playing the same game and the opponent that you're playing against is is playing the same game as you. So just kind of finding a way to get them accustomed to that sort of thing and deal with the pressure and be excited about it and embrace it is awesome. I mean, I remember still um, the one way that coach would Salisbury would do, he would pump in a ton of like static and crowd noise to the point where you couldn't hear any plays because you would end up going from, I think at the time before the stadium got renovated, I think there was only like 4,000 seats to going to play in M&T Bank Stadium or Foxborough where there's 80,000. It might not be completely full, but just being enamored by that sort of atmosphere kind of can put people into shock and teaching kids and getting them accustomed to that stuff before it happens puts them in a better position to just relax and play your own game. That's super cool about the the noise and the static and just seeing that as early as your your graduate assistantship, I'm sure you I'm sure you brought some of those kind of lessons and experiences into each of your subsequent places you you went. So super cool story. And next big question: So you oversee the internship program and the interns at Fresno State. So what's it like managing other people? And like, what can you share with us about coaching other coaches and not just speaking through on a podcast that we talked about earlier, or or, you know, lecturing in a class, but like being in charge of coaching coaches for an extended period of time with this specific focus of developing you as coaches, maximizing your team here. And what can we learn from that? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, our internship program has has morphed a lot. There's There's been a lot of changes since I've been here four years with uh, directors and just how the departments run. So, um, it's still a work in progress how we'd like to get it and, and my end goal in mind for the program. But I, I really enjoy working with the interns and bringing them through the process because obviously I'm kind of biased to it. I've done five internships, probably more than everybody would want to do or ever should do. So my whole goal is to make sure that this is the one internship you need to do and be done with it after that and be prepared for either a grad assistant position or a full-time job when you're done. Um, I take a lot of pride in that and the mentoring process and being able to manage those coaches that come in is important. Um, But I try to get them on our level right away so that they are actually coaches. I think that like the CSCCA does a really good job with how that mentorship program does and, and both myself and our director are certified to be mentors in that so we follow like a version of that in our own curriculum as well as teaching them our system first kind of just erasing them teaching them our system and then being able to kind of throw where their strengths are in at the end of the day we want them to add to our program all the time so we're either rewriting the program or rewriting certain sections of it based off their experience. They're writing, they're doing projects and they're doing things that only add to our program. So the next crop comes in and does better. Um, the managerial side is interesting, um, but I think it helps me probably just as much as it helps them because they get someone they can kind of bounce ideas off with and, and be a relay for, hey, can I do this, 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 and learn a system? And then the same thing for me, 
most of the time the interns are coming in are pretty green and they're either fresh out of college or they play college sports or something like that. So since they're younger, they're even closer to my athletes. And as I get older, they stay the same age. So it's nice to be able to use them to relate things to. It helps me simplify my like coaching cues and stuff. Cause if you remember like the first time you ever deadlifted, you had no idea what you were doing. So, but at this point in time, I think I'm okay at deadlifting that some things just kind of come second nature to me. So it's nice to have an intern come in that might not know all those things. And you're like, Hey, why can't you just do it? Just do it. And I sometimes get in that point of like thought with my players, like, why can't you just do it? Like, Oh yeah, I got to teach them. So having them along helps me with the athletes a lot too. I know that probably answers one of the next questions you kind of had, but um, in terms of the managing them specifically, um, I just want, I want them to eventually be come to the point where they're just part of the staff. So we're working together. Like we have conversations, we have meetings where they're involved. There are meetings where they're not involved, but making sure that they're not just clean. They're not just doing some of the traditional things that you kind of did before, but it is a rite of passage for them. And like I said, I take a lot of pride in, in having them as part of the program and working with that curriculum. One of my favorite parts of your answer was at the beginning when you talked about the point of it is for them to go on and get that job and to not have another internship. And that's mainly based on your experience having five yourself. And that's one of those things where, you know, everyone wants to go intern GA job, but you know, if, if everything, especially in times like right now, if everything was how we, we wanted it, you'd be in the NHL right now. So it's, cool. it's, it's interesting how like a variety of those experiences, maybe not how you wanted it has helped you kind of pour into maybe not care more, but you, you view it in a more holistic fashion. I'm sure that that pays off a lot in the end product and um, saying, Hey guys, I've been there, done that five times more than you have, you know, so I get it and being able to speak that language. So you can do that with your athletes, but also with your interns. And then the, the, the next thing I liked that you said was how you want them to be a part of your staff and tying this into strength and conditioning. One of my uh, old colleagues that I worked with uh, at TCU, he had the divers and the golf teams. And he was like, if you train an athlete, like they're going to break, you know, teams that aren't traditionally in the weight room or weight room sports, if you train athletes, like they're going to break, they're probably going to break, you know? And if you treat athletes like interns, they're still going to, they're going to stay interns, you know? So treating them like coaches, like members of the staff is going to help them get to that end result of hopefully getting a job somewhere else or at Fresno, but also contributing while they're there. So I think that was a, a super awesome answer. Yeah, I like that. Treat them as you kind of foresee them or treat them with their end goal in mind rather than how they are. I think that's huge. Um, it's it's a big, important part of it. And I know that some of the interns might end up doing another internship after it. It's There's no like right way in this profession to kind of follow the mold. Um, and I think that, honestly, you can take an internship. If it, if it benefits you, then it's, it's worth it. And I snuck a bunch of mine in just because I was like, I want to go out and learn. And it's one thing to pick up the phone and talk to someone once and maybe follow up with them. But it's a different thing to be there every single day, day and out, 
or go to visit someone and stay there for a full day, watch them on game day, watch them in the morning for warmups, see how they are between training groups. I think it gave me a lot of insight into how a program is run and how eventually I want a program to be run. And not to go down this kind of rabbit hole, this will be the, the, the last thing before the next question, but along with like internships slash networking and jobs, one thing I've recently experienced or the importance of internships is, or I guess how networking works is you work hard for someone smart, that smart person has other smart friends and those smart friends go, hey, I need a guy. And where internships are important is it's one thing to say, oh yeah, my guy, Nick, a uh, super nice guy, but I've never really seen him coach. You know, like we've had some nice phone calls, but you know, versus, oh yeah, Nick was with me for a month. Dude's on time, works hard, you know, and if networking works because people vouch for you, they have to know you as a professional because that's what they're vouching for you to do as opposed to just being a nice guy. Now that being a nice guy goes a long way, but the importance of internships is like, it's two completely different recommendations. He's a nice guy versus he's a nice guy. And I know that he, he balls out when it's his time to coach. Um, so internships might not always be the most optimal, but it's going to go way farther than just kind of some, some phone calls. They're all important, but um, something that, that I recently uh, have learned from kind of my networking efforts and the, the issues I've kind of been falling into. Yeah, it's definitely different for someone putting your name in the hat and someone putting their name behind you and vouching for you. Definitely. So next big question, having spent time at five internships, different schools, how has just that variety contributed to what you do now? So is it, is it like picking and choosing what each of them do well? Is it seeing how they all do pretty similar things, um, but have their own kind of, uh, spin on it or, or kind of how has that variety contributed to now? Yeah, I think you can learn everything from any place, any person. Um, I think we're all in this profession. We're all lifelong learners. And if we want to progress, you have to be. Um, I think there's a lot of similarities. There's more similarities and differences in all the places I've been at, but it's a nice kind of change of pace and experience to be able to be in a different conference in a different kind of coaching style, um, see different philosophies in action. Uh, for me, work with different teams and work with different staff settings. It's It's been a change of pace. My last position, like we had a staff, but I never saw them. I was at a remote location by myself the whole time up at the stadium. So it's different here. Like I share an office with two other coaches all the time. And there's two more offices with more coaches right next to me. So having those experiences and knowing how to do stuff on my own, knowing how this conference operates, how this facility works, how we kind of do all these different things is nice. But at the end of the day, we're all coaching pretty much 90% of the same thing, which is, is easy at the end of the day. Like there's no real right way to do it, but we're all going to squat. We're all going to bench. We're all going to clean. We're all going to do some sort of version of those things. So there are a lot of commonalities that kind of come from it, but being exposed to all those different universities and coaches have been awesome. Like I've learned, I've learned like the importance of actually truly coaching from like some of my old mentors, coach Carl Johnson and, and Sean Foster. Those guys are on the floor all the time. Like I've learned a lot of the mental side and some of those kind of 
weird black holes of of coaching from my old boss here at Fresno, Johnny O'Gean and uh, Michael Hill at Georgetown. Those guys were awesome. And and now, like one of the big things that I get to do is kind of learn more of the managerial side, like the administrative side and stuff. Now that I'm at a place where we have um, our director as part of an associate AD. So like coach Ron McKeefer, has been awesome. He's helped me a lot with all that and kind of really the nuts and bolts of everything outside of me being on the floor coaching. So it's great to have all that stuff in place. And like I said, there's no real right way to do it, but being exposed to all these different things kind of just lets me collect my thoughts and create my own philosophy so that when I'm in the big seat, like I know how I want it to be run because I've seen either how I don't like it or it's kind of reinforced how I do want it to be run, which is cool. And that's exactly what, what I was going to say next, how even just an internship, you're getting those experiences on how the departments run and different things like that. And then you can pick and choose kind of what you like, what you don't like, what you would tweak. Now that you are in that kind of administrative overseeing interns, uh, a higher kind of role. So there definitely is not to be all rah, rah positive, but like there is value in everything if you seek it out. And especially in a field where, it is more similar than dissimilar and there's a gazillion different ways you could write a a program like figuring out what you like and don't like or what works and what doesn't or figuring out what you don't like is just as valuable as figuring out what you do like exactly Uh, which just comes to exposure over time to a variety of different things um so it's it's cool that that it's kind of all making sense now and and um I enjoy kind of putting it all together. I love when the story comes full circle, but there's still more to come for yourself and for this podcast, which will get me on to this this next question. So being a Highland Games and Strongman competitor, where does it, if at all, fit into your job? So does it help kind of with relationships with your athletes? Like, you know, they can ask you about your kind of hobbies and um, kind of like personal passions does it help with kind of your programming or is it kind of just something you kind of keep to the side and then how did how does one come across that sport i guess we'll start there oh yeah coming across it is kind of interesting like i said playing so many different sports um i was bound to not be good at a few of them and hopefully try to be good at one or two um i decided to be mediocre at two of them which is it's better than being lousy at one because I know I could be good at one. Um, Strongman was the first one I really got into and it was just kind of lucky how it fold, fell in my lap. I mean, most people have seen probably old reruns of World's Strongest Man from back in the day on whatever channel it was, ESPN 8 or something. But really getting involved with strongman i got lucky because one of our grad assistants um andy deck is a professional strongman he's my still training partner and he kind of showed me the ropes and got involved i was real lucky our other grad assistant is a 10 time 10 time team usa powerlifter and gold medal champion so i could have picked powerlifting but my weight room numbers are awful um So Strongman was just interesting, the variety, everything that's kind of involved in that. Um, Every competition is different. It was really intriguing to me. And I could actually, I didn't have to tell people how much I bench, which was awesome. I could just be like, well, I can beat you in this. 
and it's just weird stuff. So it was really appealing to me. And then like when you're kind of competing in strongman, um, you start kind of seeing some of the throwing events and I never threw track or anything in high school or college. Um, but strongman started to have some of those similar events, which is there's his own separate version of it called Highlander, which is basically half strongman, half uh, Highland games where you throw stuff and pick up odd stones, which is awesome. And kind of just being Irish and enjoying Guinness and not being advert to listening to bagpipes all day, you kind of stumble across Highland games eventually. Um, I really didn't start competing until I moved out here and I've been doing both of them ever since. It's, they're both fun. It's interesting to try to compete and two things at the same time. And it really, I think it really challenges how I program. Um, I'm my own guinea pig anyway for my athletes. So any program that I ever give them, I've already done it like over back and through. I've, I've tried to correct it as much as possible. So it's nice to have, all right, well, this is as jacked up as you possibly can get doing two sports that crossover seasons at the same time that are completely different things. They're fun to me. So it's awesome, but it makes me kind of challenge my programming a lot. And with your athletes, is it something that, that you're open about? Is it something that, that you share with them? Like, or is it something that you kind of just, it's my own thing, you know, like it's fine. Right, wrong or the other, just how do you approach that? Yeah. I, like you said too, I think, um, I think it really does build a lot of buy-in with them too. Um, it makes me be a little bit relatable, even with playing sports. Like I didn't have a traditional college, like, background where I played sports through college and know like their workload and everything. But I think it's, Hey, I can relate to you guys. Like I'm managing all you guys, all your teams. I'm trying to educate myself and I'm training on top of it. So I see what your workload is. Um, I'm open about it. If they ask about it, I don't throw it in their face or make them come to my competitions or, or put anything off to the side. But at the end of the day, my priority is coaching. So that takes the forefront. Um, I do try to plan my my days around when I get to train because I think I'm a better coach and I'm a better just human when I actually get to like sweat and get my training in. Um, it's something I've been doing ever since I started in the profession. So it's something I see myself continuing to do. But I really help. I really think it helps with them. It's either a conversation starter in it, and it shows that I practice what I preach, and I'm I'm willing to walk the walk. And the same stuff I'm trying to tell them. I don't want it to go in one ear and out another. Um, like when we travel, I tell them like, hey, like education is important. You guys should be eating a certain way. So if I came in, to, they came into my office and they saw I was eating something. I was just shoving Doritos in my face and, and I'm telling them, Oh, you guys gotta, you gotta eat this, 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 then they would completely ignore everything else I ever said. And if I'm on a trip and I'm just watching movies all the time, rather than reading and I'm telling them education is important, then what, what else am I lying to them about? So I think me saying, Hey, training's important. It helps you with a lot of things It helps you in life. It helps you guys with your sport. It helps you with your education. If they see me do it, then it makes more sense to them and they can, they can buy into the rest of the stuff I'm doing. I don't like, I don't really like the term to sell them on it because I think they should inherently like it. 
it's something that they should come in and want to be a part of. I don't really have to car salesmen and and convince them to do it so much. There's some people that are not going to be they're not going to be drawn to training. They might not like it, but I think if I can get them to the point where they respect the process and they trust what I'm saying, and I think that me training and them seeing me do the things I say helps with that process. And it all comes back to your job and the athletes, and that's what you're supposed to do. But having the ability to visually and actually like practice what you preach, it's only going to help you coach because they're going to be that much more into it. So um, I, I like how it's at the end of the day, your job, you coach, but how do you kind of not intentionally leverage those things, but how it does come out to be kind of a, a win-win because it's, it, it requires the, the most out of you and then they can see that and then they'll in return um, kind of bring the most to the training session and, and everything like that. So that was very cool. And then next big question. So testing and a leaderboard type strength and conditioning assessment, whatever we want to call it, how does one effectively create and implement it? And where do you think that fits in, let's say, a, a college strength and conditioning program? Yeah, I think I think some aspects of it is important, um, but being overwhelmed with it and putting way too much emphasis on that is the detriment of it. Um, it's something we actually finally got rid of. We had a bunch of record boards up in the weight room that were there from years. They hadn't been updated. And we finally were like, we have to take these down. This isn't, we're not a numbers based program. Like we're a results based program. And we want to make sure that the teams are involved in the process of it. Right. At the end of the day, if you, if you squat 600 pounds in the weight room, and you lose every single game in the field, what's the point? Like there's an inherent risk to everything too. So when we're thinking about testing, I know you can test in a safe manner, but for me, like, why would I do that when I'm not like for say, I'm not working with football where like your playing experience in college is important, but also partially important is your combine results. Like for any person that's ever contacted me about a player or any professional strength coaches has contacted me about potentially drafting one of my baseball guys, we've never discussed numbers. We've discussed like, are they good character? Like, would you want them on your team again? Like, what are they like outside of the weight room? All those things, like those things are way more important. We've never discussed numbers at all. Um, and I'm more for just tracking and goal setting them like it is important to have some sort of metric whether it be conditioning anthropometric i mean we do movement screens and we do bod pod and we do some other things to show athletes that hey this is the work you're putting in this is the progress you're making towards your goal but i think we're long are the days where it's just like hey this position needs to bench this much this position needs to run this it's nice to have a standard but not just a one goal thing. And that's where we kind of get lost is only one person can hold that number. You can tie it too, but if every single person on your team, their main goal is to beat that number, you're losing sight of 
the whole point of training and the whole point of sport performance. It's not to just beat that number, but for us, I like to make sure that we set some goals with the athletes based off them. We have some standards for our teams and then we just track those things. We don't have to get over overworked with all the numbers and everything and be tracking a bunch of stuff. But I think that's way more important than just shooting for your name on the board. And I like that bigger picture of approach of the baseball example where it's well if our goal is to play after college you know you've had those scouts and coaches call you and that's not something that's brought up now each sport is going to have its own unique demands for example with the nfl combine but changing it from like a a leaderboard approach to an assessment or tracking approach where there's going to be that kid who's a buck 50 soaking wet but is the most skilled athlete ever. And you think that they're going to buy into wanting to trap bar deadlift, whatever X, Y, Z, your specific exercise is when they're, you know, one of the top players on the team, probably not. But if you can sell it of, all right, let's see who can increase the most percent, you know, or, Hey, we might not have hit the numbers we want to, but you know, over the last three months, we, we made XYZ progress. So a difference from the leaderboard, because each athlete is going to do different things well, or a lot of things kind of average, or be awesome at, you know, they just love the sport and the training's kind of meh, you know? So it's, I, I definitely like that change of leaderboard to tracking assessments, just some feedback, um, but also that end goal of like, well, depending on the sport, their job is just to play that sport. So I like that answer a lot. Exactly. I think if I had maybe like track, like like if I had the throwers or track or swim, or like if you were competing like I am in Highland Games, something like that where it is a numbers base. It is who throws the farthest, who sprints the fastest, like something like that, then it might be more appropriate to track some things along those lines because you can say – almost at least with more correlation that hey this this lift if i'm good at this lift i get these numbers then it benefits my speed or it helps my throw but team sports are a whole different animal and it's it's not really feasible to do that stuff and even even putting too much emphasis on that for any of those sports where they're numerically based you still get lost in it it's there's too much it's too hard to measure skill and those those other things involved with just their work ethic and character that are way more important than just what your total is yeah so there definitely is a lot of context aka the sport but if you have you know something like track where that's just how their brain works how do i shave a tenth two tenths whatever off my time versus like I mean, it might be a little bit of a stretch saying increasing X number will help your X velocity, but saying like, you know, I'm going to help your average go up from 300 to 310, like no one's fooling anyone. That's not how it works. So definitely a, a lot of context and just a, a, a new way to think about that. So I definitely like that a lot. And second to last big question, as an industry, what do you think we can all start doing to help move strength and conditioning forward? Yeah, I looked at this one too, and um, uh, I had a few ideas about it, but I think the one thing that comes to mind, especially like from all my experience at different universities, like on top of the stuff I've learned, like 
I've had to shut my mouth on a bunch of stuff too. I've seen a lot of bad things or things that I didn't think were were helpful for either our athletic department or for strength condition in general. And the ones that I start to see that are are really important are the ones where the director of strength conditioning has a seat at the table and is actually involved in more than just what happens in the walls of the weight room. Like they're, they're either on committees or they're on boards. They're, they're involved in like that high performance model where, where all the different pieces of sports performance, sports medicine, nutrition, psychology are working together. I think that's where we really need to get more towards, um, eventually it'd be nice to have where a strength coach is is involved in all the hiring process of that and making sure that it's not someone that doesn't really understand what's going on in the weight room what we actually have to go through because right now a lot of places are dealing with the person that's end up hiring and firing you has never actually seen you do anything they don't really understand what your job entails or what you're doing, you're just another replaceable person. Um, in terms of going forward, I think like, like what we're trying to do with the internship, like mentorship program, we want that to be a big step in the process and making sure that like, like I said, the CSCA is doing a great job of it. And I think that that's a, a step in the right direction to making sure that the next group of coaches come in are replacing the next ones and being more successful and are well educated and ready to perform their duties as a full-time or grad assistant. And then um, I know in my experience specifically, since I haven't been ahead, I'd like it to end up seeing where assistant coaches, there's more, there's more room to grow and more room to advance in your position. Um, and I know that usually that ends up you having to leave to go to a different place, but it'd be nice to see more advancement and getting to that point. But I still think that the most important thing is having a director that is involved with administration and can kind of legitimize what we do in, even if it's not like for every single school in the country, if you can start small and start with your own program, then it makes a lasting impression on the rest of them. Exactly. And, and having that kind of bigger picture approach of like, yes, we're the strength conditioning department, but there's, you know, the admin and the athletic department. So having a seat at the table, like someone who has that voice where it's like, I'm on the floor every day. I understand what those guys are going through. And, and I, I like the example of like the hiring and firing. Well, you know, have they seen you on the floor doing your thing, you know? So, uh, and then also with the, the assistance room to grow kind of that bigger picture where it's like, we're all trying to grow and progress. But if someone's in, in kind of this little box and they're probably not going to stay very long um, right. if, if they're any good at what they do. So uh, definitely some, some interesting things to chew on. And last thing. So I enjoy the rambling and the rants and the talking, but I enjoy tying everything back into action because at the end of the day, you know, we are what we do. We're practitioners. We do things on a daily basis. So what are one to three actionable things that the listeners can start doing tomorrow to become better? Yeah, I looked at this one. I actually had four, but I'll go Sweet. real quick. I'll go real Actually, quick. Credit. So um, the big one, I see it with all my interns and even the players that come in is like just to set goals. Um, I know 
it seems real cliche to say that, but if you really don't know where you're going, then you're not, you're probably not going in the right direction. So I know for me, my goals are, I have them on my phone. I have them posted like at my desk. I have them at my desk at home. I have them by my coffee maker because that's where I always go. So I know exactly what I want to do. And it's my own fault if I don't get there. And I think that the interns especially, and then the athletes, they need to kind of know, like you might have a wish, but if you don't take any actionable steps, like we mentioned towards it, then it's your own fault if you don't actually get it. And even if you only start with like, what can I do in six months? That's fine. And then you can start working towards, all right, where do I want to be in 10 years? But you still have to accomplish what happens year one, year two, year three. Um, one thing that I've been doing a lot in quarantine, since we're still kind of in it here in California, unfortunately, is um, working and trying to find a way to shape my philosophy. So like combing through old programs, um, stuff I was doing with other coaches, talking and uh, reaching out to other coaches about what they do and just trying to concisely put all my thoughts together, what I liked, what I didn't like from all my experiences, um, tracking everything that all my head coaches have ever done. I, I take a ton of notes. Um, so making sure that I could put all that stuff together again so that, hey, when I am in that director position, I'm saying all the things that I want the profession to be, well, then I should be part of the solution. I should be part of putting together all the things that I think are wrong and making sure that when I'm in that position, I can either try to write it and make sure that the next person doesn't have to deal with those problems. Um, the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that one is just networking. Like I said, I did a lot of internship experience. You don't necessarily need to do that, but quarantine was a perfect time to reach out to people and talk to people, not so much to visit, which I think is the best. And I know I'll probably get sick of it, but I really enjoy traveling with my teams for that aspect of reaching out to the coaches and be like, hey, can I just stop in and see what you guys are doing? See a training session, maybe get a lift in or get lunch or something like that. It beats like just talking to them over the phone and not, never talking to them again. I can follow up after I see them, but especially the coaches where I'm, we're going to travel there to compete against, like I'm probably not really going to stop in North Dakota very often. So when my wrestling team's in North Dakota, you better believe I'm going to try to stop there. Um, and then the last thing, hopefully everybody listening to this podcast is already doing it, but if you're not, you need to get under the bar. Like, I think you need to train as a strength coach. You need to be your own test subject. You need to be N equals one. Um, anything you're doing, it has to be done on you first. I'm my, I'm my own guinea pig for everything. And it can't just be working out. It goes hand in hand with goal setting. Set some goals for yourself for training and and push towards them because your athletes appreciate it. I think when they see it and as a strength coach, it's important to practice what you preach and show it to the players. Um, I think all, all those things you could do right away and they'll definitely help you personally, like in your own life and, and coaching as well. Fantastic. So I'm not going to try to rephrase those. I think you did an awesome job. So thank you very much for your time, for kind of pulling back the curtain, sharing your variety of experiences and how it's kind of all legit to now. And, and you needed all of those, uh, whether you, you kind of liked it or not. And 
everything really does work out. So thank you for, for your honesty and openness and, and some really cool answers and a lot of stuff to chew on, but also some things that we can start acting on as well. And I look forward to the next one. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for your time, man. And yeah.